This is Internet Marketing. Brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.co.uk. This is Internet Marketing. Now, before we start today, we've got a bit of shameless self-promotion because Site Visibility has recently published the Ultimate Content Promotion Guide. It's their most comprehensive guide to date, and in it, they break down all the content marketing promotion tactics, tricks, and tools you'll ever need to help you achieve marketing content success. You can download the guide, plus a handy printable content promotion checklist, for free by going to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, slash ultimate dash content, or ultimate hyphen content. doesn't really matter. Dashes and hyphens. Same thing, really. Now, today, I'm joined by Ryan Benici, Chief Marketing Officer of G2. Ryan, how are you? I'm really good, thanks, Andy. How are you? Let me check. Everything seems to be functioning normally. Thank you very much, Ryan. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're, um, you're over in, is it chi- Chicago? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Seems to be quite a, a, a popular part of the states uh, up near the, the Great Lakes, because we interviewed someone from the Great Lake area quite recently. What's the weather doing in Chicago right now? You know, it's a little overcast right now. I'm just looking out. Um, it's been kind of, kind of, we're flirting with summer at the moment. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think the weather gods are just kind of, I don't know, they're, they're not winning us over just yet. Now, um, um, can I detect a very soft uh, Antipodean accent there? <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> I'm from Australia originally, which people tell me my accent is actually starting to fade, which is making me really quite depressed. Um, uh. But... I've only been living over here in the US for two years now. So I think my I just have this weird problem where my accent starts to become similar to whomever I'm speaking with. So if I start to put on an English accent at all during this interview, I'm not taking the piss, I promise. Do you know, I have the same problem. Um, you're the first person I've ever met that has the same problem I have. Um, I when can't I hear, help it. It's so the, yeah, embarrassing. There yeah. are certain accents. <laughs> do, do you have certain accents that it happens with that more yeah, than others? South African, for sure. Yeah, me, English, South African sure. too. Yeah, American, not really. Um, it doesn't. Re- I don't find myself doing the American accent. I'm not sure why that is. But yeah, South African and, and the English, yeah. I don't know what it is. So by the end of the, end of the interview, you'll be saying, I say, old chap. <laughs> yeah. Well, in your best English accent, tell us a bit about yourself and G2. I, I won't put our listeners through that. <laughs> um, well, yeah, gosh, a little bit about me. Um, so, I mean, I've been kind of in marketing for a little over a decade now, um, always doing SaaS tech marketing. So I've been really fortunate to work for some um, pretty remarkable high-growth companies like HubSpot and Salesforce, Microsoft, and now G2, um, which is where well, we were formerly G2 Crowd, but we recently rebranded to G2. And yeah, I kind of, I feel like I've been really lucky to choose, to choose a lot of winners. So I've kind of had a pretty wild, um, last 10 years with the last two of those 10 years being over here in the U S so, um, having lots of fun. And how did it all start? What, what got you into this whole sort of online marketing area, if you like? Yeah, you know, I, it's a good question. I was one of those weird kids at school that just wanted to be a CMO when I was like 12. I don't know why. Really? Um, I, I actually, yeah, I genuinely don't know what it was that like made me like just get so focused on that. But um, yeah, I kind of always wanted to get into this space. I don't know. I, I, I think I just like 
was obsessed a little bit with the idea of kind of like Fifth Avenue and like this advertising exec madman sort of vision, which obviously isn't really the reality today. But um, yeah, I got kind of like bought into that from a young age and and then got yeah really focused on getting um, all my way up to CMO. And, and weirdly also, I needed to become CMO by 30, um, which like fortunately last year I got there at 29, which was um, pretty cool. But um, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, and, we, you know, I think we'll touch on some of the mental health challenges that that caused as well of having yeah, sure. um, self-value be so driven by external things like your job title. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm in a good place now. So you joined, uh, when was it you joined G2? I joined G2 in December of 2017. So about uh, 16 months ago. And they went through a, a rebrand, didn't they? They changed their name. Was it? They used to be known as uh, G two. I forget what the second G two Crowd. Yeah, that's so it. We G two Crowd. Crowd dot com, and um, you know that was kind of you know the, the business was founded you know eight years prior to to me joining around approximately eight years, anyways. And um, the whole idea of it was you know G two is a is a military term that stands for intelligence in the military, and so. The whole idea was that um, is we were basically driving intelligence from the crowd, which, you know, eight or so years ago was quite different than what was happening, you know, then because it was, you know, analysts um, that were dictating what software was the best in its category. And I think what we've learned over the last sort of 10 years or so is that um, not just G2, but I think, you know, as an industry is that, you know, the best software for one business isn't necessarily the best software for another business because every business is in a different sector at a different stage of maturity, has different number of employees and budget. And so, you know, G2 really wanted to focus on how they disrupted that old school analyst model. And um, I think we're really lucky now to be at a point whereby I think it's pretty clear that, you know, with the millions of people coming to G2.com every month to buy software for their business that, you know, the trust that they, that they view from, you know, hundreds of thousands of validated peer user reviews is, is definitely they're weighting that with a lot more trust, I think, than they are, you know, an analyst sitting in an ivory tower, maybe deciding what is the best CRM or the best email marketing software for everyone. Yeah. So, so G2 Crowd changed its name to G2. That was the big rebrand. And I'm just wondering, I'm, obviously, you alluded to a lot of the why just then, but what, what was the... What was the big picture? Why why did uh, G two feel that the the rebrand was necessary? Yeah, so it was definitely a lot more than just the, just than about the name. I mean, I think the name change was just very kind of minimal in terms of like the broader thing that was driving it. And you know, I think, gosh, what eight or so years ago, um, that was sort of when this concept of user generated content, your Yelps, your Glassdoors, etc., was sort of starting out. And so back then, the kind of concept of trusting someone's opinion online wasn't really, you know, maybe the norm. Um, forums were, you know, typically, you know, a lot of people's like negative opinions about certain things. And there was a lot of, you know, like trolls online. And so I think when we started back then, you know, it was really important to us to help people understand that, you know, our reviews and our content was going to be very different from everything else that was out there. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think after about five or six years, we'd kind of like solidly proven and also you know with thanks to other companies in the space like amazon etc that you know really rely on their reviews to help people convert and transact on their site we sort of kind of realized that um reviews were actually just a means to an end because if you're you know if you're someone coming to our site yes you are maybe in that moment looking for reviews to help you decide what is the best you know 
you know, conferencing call software for, you know, say you're wanting to run a podcast or what is the best CRM software if you're wanting to, you know, kind of up level your business and start selling more product. Um, but then we kind of realized that like the software was also a means to an end because, you know, if you're looking for a conferencing software, ultimately the end goal that you're looking for is you want to be able to record a really amazing podcast, or you're wanting to be able to have meetings with colleagues around the world without creating any frustration, super simple to connect. Or if you're looking for CRM software, you know, you're trying to increase your revenue faster. Um, and so we sort of like, I think over the last year went through this sort of evolution as a company where we realized that reviews are super important, but actually it's the outcomes that actually people care about. Um, and so, you know, it was kind of like we were going from being a product feature focused company where we were focusing on our features, which was the reviews to kind of going, Hey, what is like the solution that the features, the reviews provide? And the solution is, you know, the software helps you grow your business faster or more efficiently or close your books faster if it's accounting software. And so that was sort of like the genesis behind like behind the rebrand. So it was kind of a lot deeper and it really sort of helped us as a company really get, I guess, focused on the right things in terms of, you know, what is our mission and vision. And so, you know, we launched that rebrand at the start of this year, which also, you know, was a, you know, a new look and feel, a new logo and, you know, an updated name. And so, yeah, so far the um, the response from, you know, our customers and from the millions of people coming to our site every month has been really positive. And I think, you know, if you, you know, if anyone's listening right now and they head over to g2.com, they'll see that the brand's a lot more approachable and fun now, which mm. I think we were a little bit more kind of like buttoned up maybe previously because, you know, we were going up against these analyst firms that were super professional, you know, like wearing suits and ties and they looked the part, but they were a little bit pay to play. And so I think we felt like we needed to also look as if we were a stuffy company. And, you know, yeah. on the inside, we were, we're nothing like that at all. And we, we never have been. But I think our external identity wasn't necessarily, you know, in encompassing what we were as a company and what we wanted to disrupt. Now, Ash, you know, a, a rollout of a rebrand isn't isn't a trivial thing. You say you started at the beginning of the year, so we're now in April. So, what took, took about three months did it to do? Well, so we we started the actual um, yeah we started the rebrand maybe um, you know in Q four last year, right? Yeah, um, like internally, anyways, and kind of we're getting it all to the place at which we were kind of ready to launch, and then. Yeah, I'd say we like started launching at the start of the year and it's probably only now, right, like kind of getting into Q2 that we've actually, it's kind of like starting to be fully rolled out. So, you know, we acquired a new domain name. So we moved from g2crowd.com to g2.com. That was a process in its, in its own right. Um, and then, you know, obviously we're a marketplace. So we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of pages on our site and lots of different things that needed to be updated. And we kind of went with a bit more of like a progressive rollout approach. I think some companies that are maybe a little bit bigger don't want to have any remnants of the old brand on, you know, their site or out there in the wild once their new brand goes live. And I think in an ideal world, that's how we would have liked to have done it. But I don't think if you're a smaller company like us, you know, we're only 300 employees, um, which, you know, isn't, isn't super small, but um, you know, we're still small enough where I think, we're not going to kind of confuse people if we we make a progressive change over the course of a few weeks or a month. So yeah, we're kind of like at the final stages of that rollout. And it's that's been a really interesting process. I think if I've learned anything, it's like more around the importance of the internal side of the rollout, like getting your employees and 
people across the business bought into the why behind the rebrand. Yeah, um, sure. Buy-in. I think that's yeah. the case for whatever you're doing, right? Like if you're rolling out new software or a new database, I think you mentioned that you work in that space quite a bit. Like, yeah. mm. you know, it's, you know, that can be a pretty disruptive thing to a lot of people. So it's really important that they understand like the, the really core roots why that it's happening so that, you know, they can kind of, I guess, sympathize or empathize with the why of why you're making them do that. Right, so we talked about the rebrand. I'd like to just briefly talk about building teams, something we've talked on the show before about. And I quite like your notion of, you call them growth hacks, don't you? Um, Because you came into G2, as you say, in 2017. Obviously, you had to build a team. So I'm interested in growth hacks. I'm also interested in hiring and what you look for in uh, rock star candidates. But let's talk about growth hacks first. What do you mean by growth hacks? Yeah, so I think, I, you know, I think like that maybe might be a little bit of a controversial word. So maybe um, that's maybe not the best usage for it. Oh, no, hack is a great word. Future. I love hack. Well, I just feel like kind of the term, you know, growth hacker is like <laughs> a little bit overused and it can mean a lot of different things. I think to me, like what... When I think of kind of growth hacks, it's it's really all about how do I increase outputs in a certain way, right? And typically, like I try and break everything down to like there are inputs and there are outputs. And so growth hacks in my mind are typically things that help you with distribution, so getting in front of new audiences. So if you can widen the top of the funnel, then the bottom of the funnel, even if the conversion rates stay the same or decrease, they will, there will still be more coming through. Or alternatively, right, a growth hack could be something within the funnel to help increase the velocity or the conversion between certain stages. And so I think for me, like when I joined, one of the things that I realized really quickly where there was like a massive opportunity for us to start to kind of augment conversion was around our blog. So, you know, I think we, you know, as a, as a company, um, you know, we're doing blogging in the way in which a lot of companies do it. And that was by selecting topics that we thought people wanted to hear about that we thought were thought leadership, but we weren't actually sitting down and doing, you know, the, the due diligence and checking like, are people actually searching for these terms and validating content topics before a writer even sits down to put a word on paper? Mm. Um, and so, you know, we have a pretty like rigorous um, process now. We have, I mean, the team now has grown from five marketers to 60 marketers in the last year and a half. So pretty crazy growth. Um, and I think for, through that, we've also seen, you know, our blog traffic grow to, you know, 1.5 million monthly visitors a month from zero um, from getting kind of like this sort of like process down pat with regard to our content marketing and our and our traffic growth strategy. So, I mean, I think that that's, I guess, like broadly how I think about growth. It's sort of, you know, increasing numbers at, at a more than incremental rate. Um, and then to your question, I think around kind of like hiring, I mean, yeah. you know, obviously growth acts, um, you know, come ultimately from the people you hire. And so I think I've just always had a, a philosophy and I, and I kind of, I think like credit my boss at HubSpot, um, Kit Bodnar for this, but, um, a, like, you know, I think you, you hire really hire slow and fire fast. So, you know, I, I have had some roles that I've needed to hire for this year that I've maybe spent nine months or more hiring for and have maybe interviewed a hundred plus candidates, but mm. you know, and I'll meet lots of like eights and nines out of 10, but I think like for some key roles, you really need to, you know, wait and be patient, find the great person. Um, and I think some of the things that I am looking for when I'm trying to find those great people is like, have, do they have a growth mindset? And so, Again, that kind of ties into like, can they then perform growth hacks? But 
a growth mindset for me is like someone that can show that they have grown something. It could be they've grown their Instagram followers or they've grown conversion rates of an email newsletter that they need to send. And it's basically just like it, it showcases, I think, if you can look for that growth mindset that people understand data and they can look at how they can, you know, increase the conversion or increase like the rate of volume of something at a faster rate than, than others in the space that are just looking at like into incremental improvements. So I don't know, hiring for a growth mindset has been something that's been really key, I think, for building out the G2 team, especially taking, you know, five marketers and growing that to 60. And so, you know, I think that a year on, we're in a really, really nice place now. Um, and mm. I think the results kind of show for themselves, which is, which is nice. Yeah, amazing. And what about innovation? I mean, once, you, once you've got the team in place, I mean, how do, you, uh, how do you get to your team sort of doing amazing sort of disruptive marketing things? <laughs> yeah, um, that's, the, that's like kind of the million dollar question. I, I mean, I think for me, one thing, like part of my hiring and, you know, when I'm onboarding team members is I think I try and make it really clear to them that like the core parts of their job and, and my job even as well are probably not going to be the most fun parts of the job. So, you know, if you're a demand gen marketer and it's your job to drive MQLs for the sales team, you know, you setting up the demand gen funnels, the emails to then drive MQLs and, you know, qualified leads for sales. That's kind of like the standard playbook, right? Yeah, there might be some little levers within that that you can drive that are, you know, innovative or different. But I think like if you can work out a really sustainable and consistent way to drive the metrics that you need to do in your role, um, I think like you, that your goal really as a, as an employee should be to work at how can you like do those and hit those targets as efficiently as possible so that then you can free up time in your day to start to do the things that maybe like will fail, but like will potentially be far more successful than anything else. And, you know, you can't really afford yourself the time to, to research and find new channels and new inputs or increase the conversion rates of some outputs if you're struggling to hit, you know, your core metrics. So, you know, we mentioned if you're a demand gen marketer, that the, that metric might be MQLs. If you're an email marketer, you might be needing to drive a certain amount of open rates or clicks through an email or ultimately revenue through a landing page via an email channel. But, mm. the, you know, doing the core part of your job and even like, you know, if I think of the core part of my job is like, you know, hiring and managing the team, like there are things that I get pleasure from, but you know, if I'm in my, if I'm in flow and I'm in a really amazing zone where I'm just loving life, like it's rarely when I'm doing just those things. It's typically when I've freed up time in my calendar to start to research and connect with other marketers to find what is it that they're doing that's working really well for them. And then I can try that. It's so, so I guess long story short, I think I, I try and kind of like foster, I guess, a bit of a team culture whereby people understand that like the core things that they may need to do to hit their goals might not be the funnest thing. So let's work out how to like do that in the most efficient way possible so that we can then free up time to then try maybe riskier strategies that maybe, maybe fail, you know, four out of five times, but that one time that they don't. Um, you know, you get massive success. And I think, you know, I've been lucky at HubSpot and at Salesforce and at G2 to be able to have had really successful teams that are really good at hitting their goals, which has then freed all of us up to then start to do more creative things. Now, I want to talk about something which is which is um, something a lot of people don't like to talk about. Uh, and it, it may not seem related to internet web marketing, but you're quite well known, aren't you, for your openness about mental health i mean we'll we'll come on to that in just a second certainly mental health in the uk i don't know if it's also true in, in america but certainly in the uk 
in the last year or two has had quite a high profile and we've had a lot of cases of you know people being encouraged to talk more about their their mental health and you're sort of quite quite well known for your open openness aren't you about your mental health and encouraging others to do the same tell us a bit about that what's the backstory what happened yeah good question so i mean i think i should maybe start by saying that so like psychology has always been something that like has always fascinated me and my wife and i actually met um we both like i majored in in psychology she actually did her doctorate in psychology she is a psychologist um so i'm like really lucky i think to be around you know a lot of our friends who are in the psych field and so the stigma around psychology and mental health in my life and in my world is is really it's it's not there at all um Mm. which i don't think is the case for a lot of other people um, you know, so like my wife, as an example, and all of our family friends and family, like they all have therapists because everyone that is a psychologist pretty much like has a therapist because they see the value in it. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, I've had a therapist for years and it wasn't kind of until recently I realized how much like work I had to do on my own self and my own self-esteem, um, which was kind of like, you know, brought on from like things during childhood and like, you know, primary school bullying and things like that. And I don't know. Long story short, I I joined um, the board of directors for a charity in the U.S. last year called Bring Change to Mind. And it's basically um, a charity all about ending the stigma around mental health because Mm. and I'm probably going to make some mistakes here with these stats. But, um, you know, I think it's something like more like it's like I want to say it's like 80 percent of people. Um, at some point in their life will, you know, go through some kind of mental health issue. Sure, yeah. Um, but only like one fifth of them will seek treatment for that. Um, and the scariest thing as well is that like they'll seek treatment typically the average time from like when someone has onset of depression or, you know, any other kind of sort of mental health um, issue, the average time for them to get help is 10 years, which is oh, insane. Wow. And that's kind of, that was actually almost like accurate for me as well. And so, um, after joining, you know, the board of this charity and the charity was um, started by the actress um, Glenn Close because she had some, you know, close people in her family that had um, bipolar and a few other things. And mm. so I don't know, I, I joined that charity last year because it was something that I was passionate about. And it kind of like helped me get the courage to actually start sharing some of my own challenges around like the depression that I had struggled with and anxiety that I had struggled with through work that I'd never really shared with people and people wouldn't have known about. And it was interesting. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Like I wrote a big, an op-ed in um, the World Economic Forum Mm. as well as, you know, for CNBC and psychology. I did a few different pieces recently, um, which, you know, if anyone wants to read and and learn about my deepest and darkest secrets, they can feel free to just Google my name and read that. Um, But, you know, that kind of, I think, also weirdly in an amazing way opened up this dialogue between me and my team and and people at my company and in the industry whereby people just started like flooding in, whether it was like on Instagram DMs or Twitter DMs or emails and starting to share the, you know, the challenges that they had faced with mental health and anxiety in the workplace. And I don't know, it was really it was really kind of beautiful, actually, because it was interesting to see so many really successful people that I would have never in a million years have like guessed had, you know, had any challenges at all. There's almost like this bizarre kind of correlation I seem to see between like people that like are really successful publicly and and some form of like mental health um, kind of condition. And I think for me anyways, you know, it was definitely I was sort of like looking externally to my career and to my job to sort of like 
create value and help me feel like, you know, my self-esteem was there. And I was sort of placing a lot of things externally and, you know, I'm still working on like learning how to not do that as much. But, um, yeah, it was a really kind of interesting thing. And I, I'm really happy that I sort of opened up about that. And, um, it's been a, it's been a fun journey so far. It's amazing. That, that, I mean, you just mentioned there that when you sort of came, became more public about what was going on and you put various you know your experiences out there in other words you were destigmatizing it it was interesting how you got that sort of rush of positivism back other people sort of chiming in and going oh yeah you know i've experienced that as well but what i'm particularly interested in is is how did your openness about mental health in the workplace affect your team i'm presuming it had a positive effect yeah i think so i mean i think firstly like there's a few things so You know, like I basically when I started talking about this more publicly, I also made the calendar events on my work calendar where I go to therapy public, too. So, you know, my team could see that I was taking time out in my week, you know, in my work day to Mm. go and talk with a therapist, which I think kind of also helped them see that they didn't need to worry themselves about like whether or not people knew if they had things they were working on. So that was part of it. Um, but I've also just had some days where, you know, like maybe last year where I was just not in a good place. And I remember kind of coming into work one day and having like a, not an anxiety attack, but I felt like I was pretty close to that. And I just like, felt like I couldn't kind of do anything at work and I just wasn't feeling, I wasn't feeling good about things. And so, you know, I left work that day and I just pinged like a note to my whole team on site being like, Hey guys, sorry if we have a meeting today, but I'm like, not feeling super well and I'm going to take like a mental health day. Um, which again, at the time I didn't think that was really anything special and I maybe, and I don't think it still is, but it seems like me doing that has helped other people on the team also feel like they don't need to kind of fake it all the time if they're not feeling in a good place and if they need to do something for them and take time off, they can. And so I think it's probably helped my team be more productive funnily enough, because they think they know that like, when they're in a good place, they can get fired up and they can work their butts off and they can drive amazing results. And if they're not in that place, like, you know, the, the best way to get back to that place is to like take time out and give yourself what you need versus like always kind of like pushing through it and avoiding the feeling. So, um, yeah, I'd say that like the team's happier and more productive. And I think I am a, a more happy and more productive boss to them. So Sure. Well, that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that with us. So we've talked about quite a few things today, the, the rebrand, be building teams, uh, mental health in the workplace. If you could boil all that down, if you had one sort of tip for our audience today, Ryan, what might it be? Yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, given the audience is a lot more focused around marketing, I think like my tip to marketers and folks wanting to focus on growth and driving results in their company. I think the the one area that my team has been having a lot of success with lately is this concept called buyer intent. Um, and so I think it's kind of like a newer, a newer growth hack in the demand gen world. And it's based with this idea about like knowing what companies are in like showing intention to buy mm-hmm. versus actually like coming to your website and filling out a lead form is a far stronger predictor of sales and revenue and, and marketing success and sales success. And so you know, our team's been doing a lot of work around how do we get these buyer intent signals to sales and we've been creating a lot of content around it. And so I'd say like to anyone out there listening and wanting to like, you know, push their marketing or their sales of their business to the next level, I would say Google buyer intent. It's this new kind of, it's this new kind of thing. I think it's like a new, it's like, like lead generation 2.0. And so, um, 
that's to me like a big tip for marketers. And I think, you know, on the personal front, I would say, you know, for anyone out there that's kind of listening and, you know, has had challenges with mental health or sometimes feels like they're burning out from work, like, yeah, like speak to your boss about it or tell them that you need to take a few days off for, you know, mental health days. Like, I think Mm -hmm. like you doing that will help them see that you need time off and will help to kind of end the stigma a bit more about around this. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for coming on. How can our listeners find out more about you and G2? So I'm, I think I've tried to keep this really easy for everyone. So I'm consistently just at Ryan Benici across all of the social platforms. I think um, there's a good 100 or so thousand people stalking me across LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter. So um, if anyone wants to you know, join in and stalk along, you know, you have my complete approval. <laughs> um, yeah, at Ryan, R-Y-A-N, and then Benici, B-O-N-N-I-C-I. Um, you can get me there across yeah, all the channels. And I'm happily will will respond to anything that you you have for me. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. These show notes will be in the usual place. That is sitevisibility.co.uk slash podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review because that helps us to, well, assuming they're good reviews, of course, helps us to <laughs> get to more people. Uh, we're always open to questions and suggestions, so you can send them to the email. It is podcast at sitevisibility.co.uk. You can tweet at site visibility we also have a site visibility group on linkedin that's all from me andy and it's all from ryan thanks so much andy thanks ryan and we'll see you next time on internet marketing